uh, book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10 uh, this morning. I enjoy the book of Hebrews because it speaks of, of course all the Bible really does, but it's very, very plainly speaks of in the book of Hebrews, one of my favorite subjects, and that is our Savior and how He is better. He's better than anything, better than anyone. He is better. That's the whole theme of the book of Hebrews. I enjoy preaching from it. The passage that I'm going to be preaching to you from, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, is what I would call the culmination of that. The entire book of Hebrews, the writer has been really laying out picture after picture, truth after truth of how Jesus is better. And he leads up to, it's, it's like a crescendo, kind of a, the, 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 the high point in the story to these verses. And from these verses, a lot of information flows. He's not done. There's a few more chapters left, so it's not as if it's over. But he, he, he really hammers the point home that he's been making into the entire book. And he makes a transition that I want to emphasize that transition. I want to speak to you about that this morning, that because of what Jesus has done, this is what he's laying out for us. There are some things that follow from that. If I'd like you to find your place, if you haven't already, Hebrews chapter 10, we'll begin reading in verse 19. We'll read down to verse 25. I'll ask for you to stand with me as I read the Lord's words, uh, simply out of reverence. If, if you're not able to, I completely understand. There's no, no requirement there. But if you're able to, please stand with us. We know that these words were pinned down, certainly by a man. Some believe it was the Apostle Paul. Others have other opinions of that. But we know where these words originate. These are from our God, and he has written this down for me and for you so that we can be edified by it. Here's what he says in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray together. Father, there's a truth here that we want to get into and I want to explain it to these folks, but you know that I'm inadequate to really articulate it, to do it any justice because the truth is so amazing, so immeasurable, so indescribable. But Lord, I know that I've got something more powerful and we've got something more powerful than these feeble lips and this feeble tongue. We have your own Holy Spirit among us, convicting, pointing us to a Savior, Jesus Christ. There are even believers here who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And Lord, I'm asking you to have your Holy Spirit convict us, prick our hearts, point us to the truth that's here, confirm it in us, and most importantly, motivate us to operate on the truths that are given here. Help us to be who you want us to be and to do as you want us to do. Transform us by your word. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, July the 6th is not a particularly meaningful date to many of you. 
It, but it was on that date, it happened to be a Saturday in 1996, that I got married to Vanessa Ruth Byerly. There was the usual pomp and circumstance of a wedding. It's what people happen to do. It's what you do. You got lots of people in a church, and you come down the aisle, and everybody's beautiful. It's just a wonderful day. But of course, it was one of thousands of weddings that happened in a given year, I'm sure. But for me, it quite literally changed everything in my life, it really changed the course of my life. It really did. Sure. That ceremony, which was just like I said, just a ceremony, there was no, for me it was special, for my wife it was special, but for y'all, you looking on it, it's, like, it's just another wedding, and I understand that. I'm not trying to say it was anything particular, but for me, that ceremony opened up the gates to spend the rest of my life with a person that, who was and still is, quite literally my favorite person in the entire world. I get to be with Vanessa. Now she's mean, I know that, but I do like her, I really do. Those solemn vows that we made, uh, we made to each other, put into motion a whole series of promises. And, And I won't suggest that either of us, myself and most importantly, have not, by any means have been perfect, and have not been. But, but that they have enabled us to build a strong and a vibrant trust between us to a point where we've really come to depend on each other. In fact, I literally do not know what I would do if I did not have my wife. In fact, the other day, um, we were talking about my lunch for work, and most of the time I end up skipping lunch or eating something very quickly if she doesn't make it for me. But when she makes my lunch, I actually get to eat. And it's just because... I don't have any more sense than that, to be honest with you. But, but I, I really, that, those vows have been able to, be able to trust each other, to be, able to, to be able to depend on each other. And that event commemorated a love that, despite the fact that my kids think it's absolutely gross, I love to exhibit that love to her and to, I don't care who knows that I love my wife. Amen. In a lot of ways, the passage that we've just read really is also a very similar kind of culmination and a, and a, and a turning point and a beginning point for us as believers, for Christians. It shows, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a magnificent commemoration of something that is absolutely amazing. That, As I suggested, the entire book reels to this crescendo that we start reading in verse 19. And, and in some ways, 19 through 21 are really a summary of what you read in the, the chapters preceding this. It makes these points, and I'll make them very briefly, but I, I, these, are, these are so important that it's hard to make them brief. But I will make them brief. It's that only Jesus provides entrance into God's presence, which is why he says in verse 19, with boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. Only Jesus allows us to enter into God's presence. He makes that, 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 yes, there were sacrifices in the Old Testament and those things, they never actually did anything. They were actually kind of useless only useful in that they pointed to the one sacrifice that was useful. Jesus' blood being shed. And that being done, we not only can enter into the presence of God, he says in verse 19, having therefore boldness. I mean, not just I can go in and I won't be killed. I won't and I can. But I can go in boldly. Because there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. He not only says not only that Jesus provides entrance into God's presence, it's actually that only Jesus himself made himself the conduit to God. As Jesus himself says in John, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. But he says, excuse me, in verse 20, he says, 
by, we've, this is happening, this boldness to enter is happening by a new and living way. Who is a new and living way? Jesus is the living way. He even goes further to say that which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, his own body was the conduit, the enabler, the thing that allowed me to have a relationship with Christ, uh, with God. Because Christ hung on a cross, because he shed his blood, I can, I have available to me, I can even boldly have a relationship with God. But he's not done. This is how Jesus operates. He's always got more than you would imagine. Go with me now to verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of God. Do you know that Jesus not only enables us, he opens those gates. He makes that possible. And he did it through his own flesh, his own blood. He did this, but he is my high priest. I do not have to go into the presence of God alone. Jesus goes with me. Yes, with his blood, because that is necessary. With his body, because that is the way. But because he is with me, I can have boldness. I have, I have, I have an inside man, if you will. I have someone to escort me into the presence of God. I do not have to go alone. I have a high priest. As I suggested, this is a culmination of all the chapters that come before it and all the verses that come before it. But, but this culmination is not just a literary device. I, I don't want you to see it just as a literary device. I, I think the Bible is a beautiful piece of literature, but it's not just literature. It's not just a literary device. This truth, the, the set of facts, Jesus is the entrance point. Jesus made himself the conduit. Jesus enters in with us. The fact that I have all of that, that set of facts quite literally transforms, changes everything. Yes. Everything that we have. Because Jesus died for my sins, I have, and by extension, you should also put yourself, you have access and acceptability. Not just can you get in, but when you get in, he's going to like it when you're there. You have access and acceptability to God. Jesus' flesh and blood provided that. And you know what? Jesus even says, yep, he's with me. I accept him. Father, you should accept him too. This transforms not just who I am. It does. But it transforms my future. It actually should transform how I operate. It should transform everything about me. This is the essence of grace. Please don't miss that. This is the essence of grace. That alone is amazing that Jesus did all that. But just like July the 6th, 1996, wasn't the end of anything for me in my marriage. It was actually the beginning and it opened up a world of possibilities and it opened up a world of, of wonderful things for me. This truth is not the end. It sets in motion a world of good stuff. There's all kinds of things that flow from this because of this. And it matters right now. The stuff that because of what Jesus did, yes, that happened 2,000 years ago and it saves you and changes you now. And yes, we have a home in heaven, but I don't want you to miss that right here, right now, there are some very real implications of this. And he gives us three of them. The way the passage is lined out, you see them where he says, let us. And you see, you can even, if you want to look ahead, you can see my message. He says, let us, let us, let us. He says three things. And we'll look at each of those together uh, in, in, in succession. 
The first one he says in verse 22, let us, because of what Jesus has done, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. We have access to God because of what Jesus has done. We've had our hearts sprinkled. He says this here. He says, having hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We've had our hearts sprinkled. Uh, the, The Old Testament prophets even talk about we had a heart of stone and now we have a heart of flesh. We've had our hearts cleaned, our hearts changed. We, from the inside out, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, we are new creatures in Christ because of what Jesus has done. And we now, because of that, we can have access to God. We have had our bodies washed. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 26 suggests this is the washing of the water of the word. That because of we had ourselves cleaned and ready, we can enter in. And we even have boldness to enter in because of Jesus. We're no more outcasts. Ephesians chapter 2 talked about how we were on the outside. We were the outsiders. We were people who didn't deserve to enter into God's presence and in fact would have been destroyed if we had been in God's presence. It was by God's mercy that we were on the outside because if we had entered in, he would have had no choice because of his righteousness and his justice to destroy us and to ball us up like a scrap piece of paper. We were outsiders, but now because of Jesus, we're no more. We're on the inside. We are acceptable. We have access. There's no more fear of condemnation. Romans 8, chapter uh, chapter 8, verse 1. And you know what? God actually wants to commune with us. Yes, right. Now, all that's true. Go back to what he says in verse 22, uh, 22. Because of that, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us draw near. Since we can now have a relationship with God, it's possible. It is available to us. Go on in and have a relationship with God. Enjoy it. Do you have to talk about me getting married? I I can remember nobody had to force me to go on a honeymoon. Nobody did. In fact, that was kind of the only thing I was thinking about was being able to go on for the first time unchaperoned. Y'all met Wesley. He preached for y'all, I think, a few weeks ago. He was my chaperone. He was a little little boy, probably about what, about seven, eight years old, something like that, about the time. He was my chaperone up until we got married. But it was in my mind, I was like, wow, I get to be with this woman unchaperoned for the next week do whatever we want to, wherever we want to, but I get to be with her. Nobody said, okay, Matthew, hang on a minute. I know you got all these things you want to do, but you've got to go and spend some time with this woman. Nobody had to force me to do that. But because of what we had done, we had come, we had, we had created this union. We had, we had put in front of the whole church and that it was blessed of God that we were going to be married. We now could go and enjoy one another. Amen. Do you see that? Nobody, nobody had to force me for that. The same thing now applies because a relationship with God is now possible. Go in, enjoy it. You now have God available to you. You see, that means prayer needs to be, let me say it another way, prayer should be, it ought to be, the natural, everyday occurrence because you get to talk to God. Amen. I don't think we think about it this way because we're so, I am so ingrained. I was born, I was born a Baptist. Now I had to be saved, by the way, but I was born a Baptist, independent, by the way. I was, I was born that way. It's because I've been grown up that way. I forget the fact that God is amazing. Yeah. He created the world. 
He makes all of this. If God did not exist, first of all, you wouldn't even exist. But if God tomorrow just snapped and he was gone, not even possible, by the way. But if it were, theoretically, do you realize that you would not even hold together? It says that by him, Jesus, all things consist. They stick together because of him. You would fall apart into millions and millions of atoms. This is the God that we can talk to. Just like I can, after the service, we'll probably say, hey, what y'all doing for lunch? And what you doing? And talking about catching up on stuff. The way that we get to chat with each other, we can talk to God that way. The one who invented us. So prayer should just be a natural thing because of what Jesus has done. I can just talk to him. Now, how many of you are sitting here saying, man, I sure wish I'd prayed more. And and Matthew Tilly too. But I'm trying to get us to see that you have access to this amazing thing. You have a direct hotline to heaven. You have this because of what Jesus has done. It's available to you. Go in and use it, he says. Scripture should be a fond and constant I'll say the word distraction. I don't mean to, distra- to, to belittle scripture, but I'm just saying, you know how many of us, maybe not y'all, again, I can only confess my sins because I'm the one who confess, commits them. But how many of us, first thing in the morning, wake up, it's either the TV you turn on, got to see what happened last night because you missed something, pick up a cell phone because you might have missed something there too, or a newspaper you open up. How many of that, that's what we do? That's... A lot of people. But instead, why not this word? That the God of the universe who invented you wrote down a bunch of words that he wanted you to have. Why not this be the thing that we constantly... And I'm saying that, please, I'm not trying to stand over you, lording over you, look at, I have accomplished all this. I haven't. I'm saying, why not? Why not? This is God's word to us. He wrote this for us. He's saying here in this passage, draw near, go in. You've got it, go in. If you're longing for friends and there are people who are longing for friendship and companionship, do you know that you have a friend who sticketh closer than a brother? Are, are, you, are you worried about the election's outcome one way or the other? Did you know that you know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Amen. The one who runs the whole thing. Yeah. Not just the United States of America, not just North Carolina, but he runs the universe. That's right. You have access to him. You can talk to him. I don't, I don't know that a President Clinton or a President Trump's ever going to give me the time of day. But did you know that God was waiting to hear from me? He wants to know what's on my mind. He's even told me to cast my care on him because he cares for me. God will hear. God will help our needs and even takes pleasure in our company. He actually has the answers we want. And because of what Jesus has done, you can talk to him. Go in. Enjoy him. Take pleasure in God. Because of what Jesus has done, Let's go in and enjoy God's presence. Now, of course, he has another let us here. He says, not only let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith, but he says in verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Now, now it's, it's a natural thing. And I don't want, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be hard on anybody here because it's a normally natural thing to have doubts and fears. It, it really is. It, it's a scary world out there, isn't it? Sure, yeah. It is a very scary world. I mean, and, and I actually live in a pretty safe 
safe, pretty safe section of the world. But it wasn't that long ago, and some of you have heard about it. I live in, in Hillsborough, Orange County, North Carolina, and it wasn't that long ago. I mean, somebody blew up the Republican headquarters. I mean, who thought? I mean, did we live in Lebanon or something? I mean, what in the world? Yeah. I mean, this is crazy. It's a scary world out there, isn't it? Yeah. It's a really strange place to live. It's, 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 there's lots of doubts and fearful things. But we have a trustworthy Savior. He is the one, as we just read in 19 through 21, he's the one that put us in fellowship with God, and he's the one who's faithful to keep us there. It's what he says in verse 23. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith nothing wavering, without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. I can trust Jesus. Yeah. I can. And in fact, I'd like to read to you Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. If you want to turn there, feel free, but I'm just going to, I've got it written down, so I'm not turning. It says, God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know that verse? You were a sinner and Jesus died for you. You know John 3, 16. He loved you when you were a sinner. He loved you so much he sent his son to die for you. He loved you, First John tells me, before you ever thought about loving him. Amen. He loved you then. But that was verse 8. Read verse 9. Much more then, being now justified by his blood. Do you know that Jesus died for you? He shed his blood for you. And if you've ever accepted that in faith, you're one of his. And he says, because he loved you when you were a sinner, much more than now being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Did you know that he loved you when you were on the outside? Can you imagine how much he loves you now that you're on the inside? Amen. Do you understand that? Because you're sitting there saying, I'm worried about, and you can fill in the blank about everything under the sun, and you're right to be worried about him. If God was watching out for you when you were far from him, was he watching out from you when you were against him? Now that if you're a believer this morning, you are in him. Do you realize what he's doing? Sure. He's definitely watching out for you. He's definitely, he's got his eye on a sparrow, he says. How much more is he watching for you who was created in his image, who he died for, and who has now accepted him as the only hope of his future? What do you think he does? He absolutely loves you and he is true to his word. That's why over in chapter 10, verse 38 of, of our text, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, he says, the just shall live by faith. This day to day living, relying on him every day for every move because we have access to him and we know he's faithful. I can trust him on everything. We are living where Christ's sacrifice put us. You see, because Jesus died, I now have access to the Father. I am in his protection. I am in his will. I am, this is his life to live. And living by faith is just essentially living there, just yeah. being there. I can believe what he says. Now, as I've suggested with my marriage, I've been married for over 20 years now, just a little bit over 20 years. Some of you think, well, just getting started. Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to the rest of it. And I understand. But 20 years, even after 20 years of marriage, I'm still amazed. I know she's mean, but she's so pretty. I'm still amazed. 
I mean, us fellows, we're suckers for that. Just give me a, just, I got a pretty woman. She's mean as a striped snake, but she's beautiful. I love her. And, and, and I'm still amazed that she married me. I really am. I always thought when I was a boy, I was like, man, I'm just going to have to put up with an ugly wife. And I don't know why. I always had thought that, but I, I got a good one. I like what I got. I'm, I'm happy. I picked good. But she's proven herself that she's faithful to those vows. And she maybe feels like she got suckered, but she's sticking with it. She's sticking with it. She's proven. I got in. We're in. We're in this thing and we're together. And we're, we're proving our love month after month, day after day, and moment after moment. Now, I, I use that as a, a humorous example, but I want you to understand that if Jesus created you, and he did, and he saved you, and he did, if you believe in him, when you were lost, I think we can trust everything that he says. Yes, everything. Now, I don't have an exhaustive list here. We don't have the time or the patience, frankly, to hear all the things that he's promised and what he's going to do. But let me give you a few of them. Did you know that he has given us so many promises, but he has promised he will provide a comforter, the Holy Spirit, to be with us? Amen. He's done that. Yes. He's done that. He's also said he will use your life for his work and provide fruit through your life for his glory. He's promised that. And you say, you may say, like I do sometimes, like, man, I wish I could do more for the Lord. I want to do something that's, that God is happy with. And, and he's saying, just obey me. I'll work it out. You just do what I told you to do. Yeah. I'll provide fruit. He said he will provide fruit. He's going to do whatever it takes. He may prune you a little bit. That might hurt cutting back a little bit, but he may do it. But he's going to provide fruit. It will happen. He said he will hear and answer your prayers. Of course, be clear. He doesn't always say you're going to like his answers, but he's going to answer your prayers. He will. He hears you. He knows what you're dealing with and he listens to you. He will set you free. He will satisfy your mind and your soul. He will give you what you need and he will come back and take us home to be with him one day. He's promised every one of those things and we can trust him. And he does love you. He does. Yes. He really does. And he will do whatever it takes. He's actually proven this. He'll go. He will descend, condescend from heaven to earth, if this is what it takes, to make sure that you are in a right relationship with God. He will give up his own life for you, for your eternal life. He will do what it takes to make sure that you have what God's best is for you. He's promised this. I think he's trustworthy. We can trust him. So, so, so because of what Jesus has done and what he's proven in the past, we not only should and can enjoy God, we should enjoy him, but we should also believe God. Amen. Believe him. Amen. Look with me at verse 24. He says, now the third let us, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now, something as amazing as I'm trying to articulate, again, I, I, I think I'm... I'm overly conscious of the fact that what I'm trying to tell you is true, but I, I want you to feel what I'm trying to tell you. And it's kind of hard, but, but hopefully I can only hope the Holy Spirit is talking to you about the truth of the, the weight of what the glory of what we're talking about. But if it's as good as I think it is, and more importantly, as good as the Bible says it is, and as good as you've experienced it, I think something that good is worth telling people about. It's worth sharing with other people. It's so good. You can't keep it to yourself. 
My wife does these uh, coupon deals and, and like I think it's Harris Teeter that does like a uh, super double coupon or something there. They give you a bunch of, like they take the price of the coupon and give you more money for it. And I tell you, when that happens, there's a couple people at church that she talks to and that, that you, they can't stop talking about it because it's so amazing. All these little deals that they're talking about. And that's talking about saving. And she saves quite a bit of money, to be fair, but we're talking about 50 bucks, $75. Jesus has done something that saves your life. That's right. Saves your life. I think that's worth talking about. It's worth sharing. Everybody ought to know about Jesus, ought they not? And we want, we want to tell them so they can enjoy his presence and they can believe his promises like we do. So which is why he says in verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Essentially saying because of what Jesus has done, we need to provoke one another to love and good works. I think the word provoke there is an important word. Provoke is this idea of encourage and kind of pushing. It's kind of shoving us down the path, if you will, to provoke, prod one another down the path. It is not, important, not nitpicking one another to love. Not nitpicking one another, but provoking one another. Uh, Let me say it this way. Is Jesus amazing and powerful? I believe he is. I hope you would agree with that. I think this passage makes it clear he's pretty amazing and pretty powerful. If Jesus is so amazing, he is so powerful, then I want to encourage you to love Jesus. Yeah. But if Jesus is so amazing, so powerful, I ought to let him do that work of transforming you. I can't do it. I couldn't do it for myself. How in the world am I going to do it for you? I can't. But I can point you to him. I can maybe push you a little bit and say, look up there. There's Jesus. You might want to talk to him. He is amazing. He is powerful. Look at him. So that's what he's talking about with provoking. It's not about nitpicking. It's not about beating one over over the head. It's not about hurting each other. It's about instead helping one another, encouraging each other to see the love of Christ and to do good works for him. It's to push, push people to Christ. He is the one who makes them acceptable. He's the one who makes you acceptable. Push people to Christ. You see, the reason that we come to church and the reason you're here this morning, whether you know it or not, you may have the wrong motives, but the reason you should come, put it that way, the reason you should be here this morning is to worship Jesus Christ and to edify, to build up, to encourage the brothers and sisters. That's why you're here. You're here because Jesus did something amazing 2,000 years ago. He died on a cross. He shed his blood, made it possible for you to have access to the Father. And you know what he also did? He wasn't done. He came out of the grave and in victory and power resurrected himself. He did it himself. He brought himself back to life. He did this. So that's the reason we come. Unfortunately, too many people, and some of you might even be seeing coming to church as just your religious duty. Somehow, just what you're supposed to do, kind of punching your card, you know, those restaurants that you come three times and you get a free sandwich, but you punch in your, your religious card, you come every Sunday and God's going to, I don't know what God's going to do for you if you come every Sunday, but that's what you think. Got to punch my religious card. Or, as it should be, expressing appreciation for God's amazing grace Amen. and your desire to point your brothers and sisters and family and friends to that same Jesus. I hope that's why you're here. That's why we ought to be here. You see, you don't get religious points. There's no such thing. Go to Subway or something like that if you want that sort of thing. You don't get that here. You don't get that. 
And pecking at the specks of your brothers and sisters is not going to make a difference. In fact, it's going to make them mad is what it's going to do. It's not going to change anything. And don't forget, Jesus talked about, you know, they got a speck, but you got a beam. You remember that still thing? We all, all God's children got problems. But we have one thing that will help us all. One person that makes a difference. And that is Jesus. If we point to him, that matters. You see, this church needs you and you need this church. I'm not talking about the organization. I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about these people. They need you and you need them. But that is only because, not because of how much money you have, not because of how smart you are or how good looking you are. And y'all will probably have all those things. But the reason you need them and they need you is because and if you're pointing them to Jesus. That makes all the world of difference. In fact, he even says we need community even more. Look here, it says in verse uh, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner some is, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Because he recognizes it was hard for them. It's going to get hard for us. Right this minute, it, ain't, it probably ain't nearly as hard as it could be and probably will be. It's going to get tough. And he says, before it's all over with, we are going to need one another. We need to encourage one another. But that is only going to be helpful if we're encouraging each other in Christ. So why are you here this morning? There's really only one good reason to be here, and that's Jesus. Amen. He is our common bond. You, there's probably some people in this church, it's pretty natural for churches, especially uh, in, in, that I'm familiar with, that there may be some bonds of family. You might have brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and cousins and grandchildren and all that sort of thing. That's common. But even if, if, that, if, if, if you didn't have that familiar, familial connection, there is a connection that we have, and there is a family that is thicker than that blood. And that is in Jesus Christ. That is our common bond. He's provided amazing grace because of his blood, because of his broken body, because of his advocacy for us with the Father. Because of Jesus, we can enter into the very presence of God. I I think we lose what that means. And I want you to just think on that for just a moment. The The people who we are, we who deserve shame, deserve hell, deserve death. The worst thing in the world's already happened, and it happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago, where the Father crushed the Son, taking all of the sins that you've ever committed, ever will commit, could ever even imagine being committed, and destroying them in Jesus' body. Amen. He did that for you. And as a result, I get not what I deserve, which is hell. I get God. Amen. Jesus said it in his prayer in the garden. He says, I want them to have eternal life. And that eternal life he defined for us is knowing the Father. I get that. I get that. And I don't blame you for forgetting. I don't blame myself for forgetting from time to time that that whole thing I just said is the whole reason we come together. But again, that's why we come together, to remind ourselves that that's why we come together, you see. That's why we need that. It's okay, sometimes we forget we're human. God knows that, which is why he said, y'all come together on Sunday. Y'all come together, here's some preaching, here's some singing, because you need that encouragement, and that's good. Amen. We need to be reminded. And isn't all that great and all that wonderful? But here's the thing. It needs to be transformative. It needs to be motivating. And here's what it needs to do. You need to do something about that truth. Come to God. Enjoy him. Some of you 
have never come to him to begin with. There may be one or two in this service, and I hope there, if there is, I want you to come to Jesus today. He's available to you. He wants you to come to him. And he then says, if you'll come to me, I'll usher you into the presence of God. We will have communion together. We'll enjoy each other's company. This is too precious a gift, too necessary, too important to overlook. Do not overlook it. Some of you have come to him. That's wonderful. Why don't you stay a while? Why don't you spend a little time in his presence? Relish his presence. Enjoy that. We need to come to God and enjoy him. We also need to hold strong in the faith that we've been given and live it. Don't relegate Jesus to a Sunday morning activity. Too many of you are doing that, that Jesus is just something that you have faith in on Sunday. No, no, no. You know you can trust God at work. Did you know you can trust God at school, at home? You can trust God when you're driving out here on the road, and my goodness, don't we need it? We, need, we can trust God in everything we do, and no matter what you're worried about, no matter if you're worried about who's going to win the White House, or what the doctor's news is going to be, or what, uh, what sinners are raging against in the news these days, no matter what the worry is, you can trust God for those things. That's called living by faith. And we need to remind each other of God's love. And again, we're in this thing together. Not to look like each other, to think like each other. Sometimes we do, and that's okay if we do, but that's not the point. The point is to point Jesus to Christ. People to Christ, people to Jesus. Point people to him. I'm going to give an invitation now. I'm going to ask you to stand. And my invitation is pretty simple. Um, There's some of you that just need to spend a minute, whether you're standing where you are, or you're going to come forward, however you want to do this, and just thank God for the access and acceptability that you have in Jesus. I think you might have forgotten about it. I hope I've given you a little bit of a refresher this morning. There's some of you that just need to thank God for that. There are others of you that think, I need to ask God for strength to live by faith. There are some of you that just need that because it's hard out there, but Jesus is trustworthy. And I want you to invite you to throw your cares, cast your worries on him. And of course, there are some of you that just need to pray for each other. We need to pray for each other to grow in Christ. This is a a rough and tumble world. The devil's fighting on every which way we come. And because of what Jesus has done, we can consider one another to provoke each other to love. Get rid of that judgmental, nitpicky spirit that some of us have. Provoke each other to love. Father, please work in your people's hearts. I pray that they've seen clearly what Jesus has done is amazing and it means so much to us even just this moment please help us to walk in the freedom help us to walk in the the joys and the pleasures that Jesus provides and I ask that you'll work in these next few minutes in these people's hearts in Jesus name I pray amen